Hi there, and welcome to Dig In, a new podcast from Food Service Director Magazine. I'm Kelsey Nash, Managing Editor of FoodServiceDirector.com, and we have a great episode for you today, featuring Pat Kobe, who's our menu expert here at FSD, and Lizzie Fryer, a Managing Editor with food service research company Technomic. They're here to tell you about all the latest menu trends and what flavors you can expect to come down the pike in 2019. So let's get into it with Pat and Lizzie. In 2018, the ethnic flavors to watch included gochujang, harissa, and habanero. So Lizzie, are these flavors still on the radar and where are they showing up? They're definitely still on the radar and a lot of them have started to move from those um, independent restaurants and emerging chains into some top chains, which is often where we see a lot of these flavor trends moving. So Goshujing, uh, that definitely made an impact in some top restaurant chains this past year. Uh, Kona Grill, in particular, added a spicy Korean steak flatbread with Goshujing. So these are mostly Asian-inspired restaurants, but it's not necessary. We're also seeing Goshujing popping up in wings, fried chicken, tacos, and the really popular poke bowls that we saw this past year. Um, with regard to Harissa, Silver Diner, which is one of our top 500 chains, offered up a lamb meatball gyro with tahini Harissa yogurt. But we're also seeing it show up in shakshuka and other Moroccan-inspired dishes and even on top of burgers. And the last one you mentioned, habanero. So this is one that we've seen um, in a lot of different preparations over the years. But one of the more unique ways that I saw it pop up this year was in cocktails. Uh, Legal Seafoods, for example, offered a cucumber habanero margarita, um, but we're also seeing it on burgers as well. Cool. What are some of the niche cuisines that are emerging in 2019? So I think that one of the biggest regions we've been talking about this past year is Asian island flavors. So the Philippines, Malaysia, and Singapore. Um, So these are, you know, ones that have a lot of really innovative flavors coming out of there, a lot of different flavor combinations. Um, And I think a lot of this is coming from pop culture. So Crazy Rich Asians came out last year. So a lot of people are interested in Singaporean Hawker Center foods and and things like that. Um, But from this region, tamarind is one of the flavors that's showing a lot of growth on menus. Um, And we're seeing innovative applications and non-commercial facilities as well. So the University of Connecticut, for example, serves samosas with vindaloo, tamarind sauce, and cilantro chutney. So what is what flavor profile does tamarind add to these dishes? It's sort of like a sour tart flavor? Yeah, absolutely. And that really counteracts some of the heat in those Asian dish, dishes, probably. Exactly. Sweetness and heat. Exactly. So aside from tamarind, um, I've seen togarashi emerging on menus, especially in the college level. Like uh, Boston University just introduced a new ramen bar, and one of the garnishes they put on the ramen bar was togarashi. So is this, do you think Japanese is something that is going to grow in 2019? Definitely. So I think that's kind of interesting because, you know, for a while, when people talked about Asian food, it was really all about Chinese. I think Japanese actually came shortly after that, but we're kind of seeing this resurgence of Japanese on menus in new and innovative ways. Mm -hmm. And seeing it through spices like togarashi is one way. It adds a lot of depth of flavor. 
and it doesn't necessarily need to be featured on solely Japanese dishes. We're seeing it kind of branch out, especially, uh, you know, starting now in independent restaurants and, like you mentioned, colleges mm-hmm. and universities, um, beyond those typical applications. Now, I noticed that um, in Technomics report this year on trends t- emerging in 2019 that Levantine cuisine was on that report. So can you just describe that? I don't know if everyone knows what Levantine means. I didn't know until I actually did a little research of my own. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, uh, you know, Israeli cuisine has had a lot of momentum over the past couple of years. And with that has come increased interest in the cuisines from the countries surrounding Israel. Um, So if you think of Syrian cuisine and Lebanese cuisine, um, so it has a lot of really innovative flavor profiles. It also has a lot of those health connotations that come with the flavors of the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. Um, But it kind of takes the Middle Eastern food trend that we've been talking about over the past couple of years to a little bit more specificity. Um, You know, people really enjoy Middle Eastern cuisine, but they want a little bit more transparency on menus. They want to understand that the food is coming from Israel or it's Lebanese in nature. So we're getting things like tomb, which is a Lebanese garlic sauce showing up on menus. Um, And then, you know, dishes and preparations like shakshuka has been growing over the past couple of years. We already talked about harissa. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of really innovative flavor profiles coming from that region. So when um, operators are experimenting with these different flavors and some of the sauces and seasonings that characterize them, how can they add them to the menu in like familiar platforms so that it will encourage trial? Because sometimes people can be, you know, turned off by something that seems too exotic. I think the best way to do it from an operator perspective, especially if you are a little more traditional and your you know main demographics coming in are a little bit less adventurous is by featuring new condiments sauces and spices in familiar preparations so you know putting you know an innovative ethnic sauce on top of a sandwich with other familiar ingredients or putting it on a burger this makes it a little bit easier from a consumer perspective to try these things because well, they know the the beef on the burger, they know the mm-hmm. bread, they understand lettuce and tomato, but then maybe a, a funky sauce might just add a little bit of flair to their dining uh, for the day. Um, but I think that's the best way uh, as far as a low whisk, risk way uh, mm-hmm. uh, from an operator and a consumer perspective. So I know we've seen a lot of um, turmeric coffees or turmeric lattes. So how is um, turmeric trending in the year ahead? Yeah, uh, that is my uh, one of my favorites, actually, just because it's goes with that social media trend that we talk about all the time. It's a really beautiful color. Um, it also goes with that health trend that we talk about all the time. Um, so I think turmeric is something that we're going to continue to see. We've already started to see it popping up at some top chain restaurants. I think that the applications are really only scratching the surface thus far, Um, but I think that that's definitely one we're going to see on the horizon. Mm -hmm. And how about lavender? I've always loved the smell of lavender, but I haven't really drank much of it, except recently I've had a lot of mocktails, and I noticed that they were using lavender a lot in the mocktails. Have you seen it in other applications? 
Yeah, I think cocktails as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, like I mentioned, florals are definitely trending. Um, I think it kind of provides that really nice, uh, you know, floral, obviously, note. Um, and it balances well with a lot of herbs and even spicy additions to beverages. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that beyond lavender, we're going to likely see some other florals starting to take form as well. Great. So healthy eating is trending toward natural remedies and foods that make you feel better. In fact, in one of the Technomic reports, said that 32% of consumers would pay more for items that offer functional benefits. So what are some of the flavors associated with this trend? Yeah, we are seeing a lot of ingredients that provide natural enhancing capabilities. So if you think about those physical, mental, and emotional benefits, um, starting with physical benefits, that includes ingredients that promote weight loss, like golden berries, call-outs that benefit hair, skin, and nails, like collagen, which is something that you find in the tissues of your body. So we're getting operations like Jamba Juice actually calling out collagen on their menus. It's, it's definitely a funkier one I never thought I would see five years ago. Um, but then, you know, the mental health benefits. So these are ingredients that provide cognitive function benefits, like turmeric has been known to improve. They help memory performance, like nutritional yeast, which is high in folate. Um, And then lastly, we have those emotional health benefit ingredients. They relieve stress and anxiety. Um, So if you think about carcade, which is a hibiscus tea, acerola, which is a Barbados cherry, and lotus. So that's the root or flower really common in Asian cooking. So the interesting thing about all of these ingredients is that most consumers really have no idea what they are. And thus, of course, don't actually know what the benefits are. So they're kind of being slipped in to food and beverage without consumers' knowledge. Um, and operators, you know, often can actually tout those benefits directly on the menu. Um, so that kind of provides that extra enhancement in mm-hmm. the consumer's eyes, I guess. I guess there are some more uh, familiar ones like ginger and matcha that have been around, you know, and those are considered antioxidants. So. I guess those paved the way for what we're seeing now. Definitely, yeah. And I think the thing about that, though, is those often showed up in juices and smoothies and salads, you know, those ginger and salads, obviously, those dishes and beverages that already are considered healthy in nature. So what we're seeing now is a lot of these healthful ingredients with those natural enhancing capabilities showing up in not necessarily healthy, uh, you know, dishes and beverages. So for example, the Wild Sun in New York City serves a cocktail with a house-made mango turmeric syrup. So it has turmeric, which provides those, um, you know, uh, memory-enhancing capabilities that I talked about, but it's in a cocktail. Mm -hmm. So not something you necessarily think of when you think of healthful fare. Um, But, you know, that's kind of an interesting one because that's you know, just kind of a different application of a healthful ingredient. Yeah, that's a better for you cocktail. So that sounds good. (laughs) So plant-based eating is a big trend in non-commercial. So what flavors are driving plant-based eating right now? Jackfruit is the big one. We've been talking about it a lot. I don't think it has had quite the momentum this past year as I originally thought that it would. But you know, it's popping up more in independent restaurants and colleges and universities. 
I think there's more in some emerging chains as well. I think there's more opportunity for larger chains and some more operations to kind of jump on board. Um, obviously, the Impossible Burger and the Beyond Burger and those other, um, you know, beef, you know, imitations um, have been popping up. But I think in the coming years, we're going to start to see plant-based seafood and plant-based eggs and and more, um, you know, coming into the limelight. But I think one of the other big things that we've been seeing is uh, transforming vegetables to look and taste like meat. So we've talked about the smoked carrots that look like locks. We've talked about buffalo cauliflower. One of the more interesting ones that I've seen recently was from Duck's Eatery in New York City. They smoked an entire watermelon and sliced it up to make it look like a giant smoked ham. And they served it for 75 bucks, and this thing <laughs> sold out within like the first couple of minutes every time the restaurant opened, and it was all over the news. But it was it was just a watermelon, <laughs> and, and they put a ton of work and effort, and they, they aged it for days, and they, you know, they made it look and taste a lot like ham. So that was very interesting and innovative. Uh, I think it's really about like transfiguring items that you already have in your kitchen mm-hmm. um, that are healthful in kind of new and innovative ways. And that's a lot of the ways that we're seeing plant-based dining kind of take hold. Yeah, you mentioned um, seafood. Uh, there's one operation that I recently came across that is actually doing imitation crab cakes made with hearts of palm instead of jackfruit or instead of fish or surimi or any of the things that you would normally make a crab cake from. That sounds actually delicious. It sounds really good, and it looks really just like a regular crab cake. (laughs) And I think the cool thing about that, too, is, you know, you're you're taking an ingredient that, you know, that doesn't have, like, a ton of flavor to begin with. Mm -hmm. So you add a bunch of spices and sauces, and you can really transform it to be something else. And I think that's why vegetables play such a big role in this trend. So looking ahead, what are some of the more exotic flavors that you think will go mainstream and what foods may they be paired with? I think some of the next level functional foods are going to be a huge draw. We've been talking a lot about cannabis lately and its relation to the food and beverage industry. And while it's likely going to take a few years for regulations to loosen up, some operators are already kind of keeping an eye on their potential menu applications. So right now we're seeing hemp being used across the menu in both food and beverage. Uh, Mendocino Farms, for example, serves a superfood hemp burger. But in states where it's legal, we're mostly seeing CBD, which is the non-psychoactive component of cannabis. Um, It's, you know, most often being highlighted in adult beverages and desserts. But that's going to be a really interesting one to watch in the coming years. Um, But another functional ingredient we've been taking note of is goji berries. Um, You know, we've talked a little bit about consumer stats really into functional foods, but we also have noted that 32% of consumers are saying that they're willing to pay more for foods that are high in antioxidants. And this is certainly one we're going to see operators taking advantage of. And not only are goji berries high in antioxidants, but they're also a good source of vitamins A and C, fiber, iron, and zinc. So we're seeing places like Veggie Grill serving chicken adobo bowls with goji berries. But, you know, that's that's just one of the many ingredients um, that we're talking about. Um, There's plenty of conversation around many different ingredients, um, but I think functional is going to be a big one in the in the year to come. 
Cool. Well, as you mentioned, bowls are a really good way to introduce something like a goji berry. It could even be a breakfast bowl. Exactly. they have that fruity taste. Well, it sounds like we have a lot of tasty eating ahead for us in 2019. Thank you so much, Lizzie, for whetting our appetites. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Those of you implementing new flavors on the menu might also be looking for some new ways to get feedback on those flavors. This episode's Steal This Idea comes from Brian Heddleston, an executive chef at the University of Montana in Missoula. And at Brian's operation, instead of doing taste tests with their general student population, the dining team holds them instead with their student employees. They found that student diners aren't as forthcoming with their opinions as their own workers are, and they've learned that if students don't have buy-in on items from their own peers who work in the dining halls, that they're not likely to embrace those new items in the long run either. So thank you so much, Brian, for your great idea, and thank you so much to all of you for listening to this episode of Dig In. We look forward to speaking with you next time.